two verses of scripture this morning. Pastor's text, Psalm 85, verse 10. And we'll jump over to the gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 17. Psalm 85, verse 10. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. John 1, verse 17. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Lord, today we prepare our hearts for your word, and we ask that you would give our pastor liberty to preach that word which you've placed on him this morning. I pray you would let us accept your word and take it of it and eat of it, and let it affect and change our lives here today. Let us leave this place different than when we came in. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Brother Zach. You may be seated this morning. It's good to see everybody here. I hope everybody's eyelids are open after our light night last night. We surely enjoyed the midnight hour. We thank you for coming out, and we believe that great miracles, and we'll be hearing of miracles that has taken place as a result of that service. We're so thankful for your faithfulness and your obedience. Today I'm going to be preaching just a very basic, simple message to you this morning of what the Lord has laid in my heart, and I believe that the Lord is going to bless us here today. This is When you look in Psalms 85, verse 10 of our text, the psalmist wrote in the first part of that verse, mercy and truth are met together. And this is one of the most comforting verses that an individual could ever read because it reveals the very mercy of God. This chapter speaks or talks about how that mercy and truth have connected together. It's one thing to have truth, but it's another thing to have mercy mingled with that truth. Do you realize and can you imagine what it would be like to have all truth with no mercy. Oh God, none of us could survive. But on the other hand, aren't you glad that we have truth, but we also don't have all mercy without any kind of truth because truth is vital and important to our lives. Truth exposes that which is false. Truth exposes that which is not real. Truth exposes that which is falsehood or a lie. Truth is like a light. It exposes darkness. Truth uncovers that which is buried. Truth reveals that which has been hidden or concealed. And by nature we are all children of wrath. We are all children of darkness because we've all sinned and we've all come short of the glory of God. We were even born into sin. And without truth there would be no conviction because without truth there's no sin. It was the Apostle Paul that said in the book of Romans 4 and 15 because the law worketh wrath for where no law is there is no transgression. Now in other words, man cannot sin when there's nothing to sin against. Where there is no laws and where there is no truth, there cannot be any sin at all. Therefore, it is truth that establishes accountability in our lives. This is why that God chose the foolishness of preaching to them that are lost because we proclaim the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Truth in itself, however, can be very condemning at times. It can be very convicting. Truth demands man's justice. Truth brings wrath, correction, and punishment. The knowledge of truth is what brings the knowledge of sin to us. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews 4 and 12, for the law, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and of spirit and of the joints and the moral, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The definition of sin is nothing more than the transgression of God's law or 
the transgression of God's truth. Therefore, where there is no law or truth established, there cannot be any sin because there's nothing to actually transgress against. And the reason that the eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden was sin to Adam and Eve was because God gave them a command not to eat of it. God established a law and they were to follow through in that in that law in obedience and they were to be obedient to his direct command. And if God would have never told Adam not to eat of it, then it would have never been sin for him to be a partaker of that fruit. Think about it. The reason that the whole room, the whole human race was born into sin and the reason for the whole fall of man was over three simple words, thou shalt not. He just literally said, thou shalt not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that's in the midst of the garden. The whole reason for all of this chaos and death and rot and decay and spoil and violence and de deception that we see in our land today, the whole reason was that was for the one simple disobedience of a man and a woman eating a piece of fruit that God told them not to eat of. Can I tell you this, that when God tells you not to do something, he means it. It doesn't even matter. Just eating a little piece of a fruit has caused the fall of all humanity. And no matter of fact, because of that one man's disobedience, according to the Apostle Paul's writing in the book of Romans, as many have been made sinners. In Adam, all die because of what he done. As a matter of fact, God did not even tell Eve that she couldn't eat of it, but it was Adam's job as the head of the home and the priest of the home to tell Eve himself. Genesis 2 verse 15 through 17 we find that out and the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it and the Lord God commanded the man saying of every tree of the garden thou mayest eat freely but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou mayest not eat of it for the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die here God put Adam in the midst of a paradise and with all the different beautiful fruit trees and nut trees and all of them kinds of things said you can eat of it all, but there's only one tree I want you to stay away from. And that one tree, if you eat of it, that day you're going to die. And just as God has his truth and laws written down in the word of God, it is our obligation also to warn others to not break those commandments. That's our job. Eve's ignorance did not justify or free her from the law that was laid down to Adam from God. And even so, people's ignorance of the law of God will not save them from the wrath of God that is to come to those that break or transgress God's commandments or that transgress God's law. Acts 17 and 30 says, and the times of ignorance God winked at, but now he commandeth all men everywhere to repent. In Romans 10 verse 13 and 14, the Bible tells us, for whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved, but how shall they call on him whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher. In other words, John says, if you'll know the truth, it's the truth that's going to convict you and it's the truth that's going to set you free. The preaching of the truth, the proclamation of the gospel is what reveals the very righteousness of God, which in return will bring condemnation, conviction. It'll pronounce a guilty sentence over us. It'll, out, it'll pronounce a guilty verdict on our behalf because I want to tell you the righteousness of God that is revealed in his truth condemns us for one reason and 
and one reason only, because our righteousness is as filthy as rags. There's not one of us that doeth good, no, not one. Can I have an amen? We've all sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. And then if any man says that he's not sinned, he's a liar, and the truth is not in him according to the Scripture. And with that revealing condemnation that comes from truth, our lives is filled then with fear and torment and anguish, anguish and wrath and conviction. I can remember when I first heard the truth of God and how it penetrated my heart. I was a young boy sitting in a congregation at, at a church of God in Dudley, Missouri. And that night, the, the, the preacher preached, or that morning, the preacher preached, uh, and the Holy Spirit began to move. And I sat there with my hands hanging onto the pew, gripped. Uh, and I, I was quivering because I was being convicted of my sin. How many has ever been there? And you feel the weight of that condemnation. You feel the weight of that conviction. You feel the weight of God revealing to you your sin and you're standing before him and you're knowing that you're not right with him. But Psalms 85 and 10 says, but mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Now notice mercy is you getting what you don't deserve. We all deserve punishment for our sin. We all deserve beatings and whippings and scourgings due to our transgressions. But in the Old Testament, law demanded justice. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, and life for a life. But God, with the law, mingled mercy, or who could have ever stood, or who could have ever survived? Raw truth without mercy would have consumed us all. Can I have an amen to that? The mercy of God was seen and experienced by all those who lived through the Old Testament, which deserved judgment. And can I just interject right here in this sermon just for a moment? When we deal with issues and injustices in our lives that involves other people where truth has been revealed and they expose their sin and expose their failure, please let us deal with them in a merciful way. The Bible tells us in Matthew 5 and 7, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. The Bible tells us in Luke 6 and 36, be merciful even as your heavenly Father is merciful. To him that has been shown mercy, then we are to show mercy. Now I know that there's been an event that has taken place that we just found out about really some of us and some of you have been very concerned about it and we know that uh, our college has just put on a thing called a drag queen pageant and we're all disgusted by that and we all want to stand against that. We don't want that to come into our culture. We want to protect our children. We preach against that stuff around here and we will still preach about against that stuff around here. Can I have an amen? But one of the things, amen, give the Lord praise. We still believe it's an abomination. We still believe it's sin. We still believe it goes against God's law. Can I have an amen? But on the flip side of that coin, uh, instead of going down there as a rioting army, one of the things that I've done as a pastor, just to let you know, is I gave a call. We, 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 it was kind of a late call because we were told, we had heard a rumor of it, and we got to search it on the internet, and it was tucked away in a place you couldn't hardly find it. We didn't find it. And then we had uh, some of the members call, and the members were told on the phone, oh, no, we're not hosting that. Oh, no, it's not any part of the college. And, and somebody didn't know their facts. 
I'm not saying they lied to us. I'm just saying that the people that answered the phone gave us wrong information. And so we thought, you know, it's just a rumor. So we let go of it. And then all of a sudden, at the last moment, we find that it comes out on their webpage. So I give them a call, and I'm going through the channels. And finally, they said, well, I said, this ain't good enough. I want to talk to somebody of a higher authority. I want to talk to the person that's in charge. I ask all kinds of different kinds of questions. And, and then they said that they would call me back, in which they did. And, and we're in, we're in, 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 in a plain phone tag as of right now. But one of the things that I want you to understand is this. As a Christian movement, we're not going to go down there threatening. And we're not going to go down there trying to cause a war and cause walls to go up and cause them to want to retaliate. That's not how you change things. You change things by giving them the benefit of the doubt to sit down as human beings and begin to discuss, let me tell them why I'm against it. Let me tell them why our church stands in opposed to it and then give them the opportunity to change things. Can I have an amen? In other words, let's not get all mad and angry and just want to fly off the handle and make an attack upon the college. That is not the way that we're to handle things. And can I tell you this? If we go down there and we continually work with them and they don't change, then we'll have to go to different kind of recourses. But whatever we do, we do it with the gentle touch of mercy. Can I have an amen? We be merciful people. How many of you have ever blundered, made a wrong decision, and then all of a sudden changed recourse when you become knowledgeable of what you were doing? And we got to give them the same opportunity to do the same thing. But to him that has been shown mercy, then they are to show mercy to others. Mercy does not take the place of truth, nor does it weaken the facts about truth. Mercy doesn't change truth. It, just, it doesn't justify. It doesn't pardon. It doesn't set free. It doesn't even overlook that which, which uh, truth has exposed. However, mercy is the long-suffering of God toward us, restraining God from giving us the immediate punishment that you and I deserve. Aren't you glad that when you sin, you don't get, boom, immediate judgment? That's the mercy of God. Somehow we think this God is up in the sky with a big club, and every time you make a mistake, whack, he's going to nail you. Thank God for the mercy of God. If God done that, none of us would be sitting on the pews here today. We would all be consumed with all the blunders and the misstatements and the wrong attitudes and with all of the silly things that we've done in life, if God had no mercy, then we would be consumed by his truth. I love Psalms 136. Oh, give thanks in the Lord for he's good and his mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks unto the God of gods. His mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords. His mercy endureth forever. To him who alone doth great wonders for his mercy mercy endureth forever. To him that by wisdom made the heavens, for his mercy endureth for heaven. To him that stretched out the earth above the waters, his mercy endureth forever. To him that made great lights, his mercy endureth forever. The sun to rule by day, for his mercy endureth forever. The moon and stars to rule by night, his mercy endureth forever. To him that smote Egypt in their firstborn, his mercy endureth forever. Brought out Israel from among them, his mercy endureth forever. 
with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. His mercy endureth forever. To him which divided the sea into parts, his mercy endureth forever. He made Israel to pass through the midst of it. His mercy endureth forever. But he overthrew Pharaoh and the host of his army, for his mercy endureth forever. To him which led his people through the wilderness, his mercy endureth forever. What do you think God's trying to get across to you? What's the main message there? And for another 20, for 26 solid verses, it's just telling you what all God done and how powerful God is and, and he's the creator and he's the wonders of it all. But in all of that, his mercy endureth forever. His mercy endureth forever. I love what Psalms 105 says, for the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, but it doesn't stop there. He says, but his truth also endureth to all generations. And even though mercy is God's long suffering that restrains the immediate judgment and the wrath of God from off of us, yet truth still stands there and demands that justice still take place. Justice has to happen because God's a holy God and he can't just sweep sin under a rug. He can't just turn his back. That sin has to be appeased. Can I have an amen? And though God's mercy endureth forever, yet we also have this truth that sits there that demands justice. Mercy, mercy only postpones the wrath of God that we deserve. Mercy doesn't pardon us or free us or forgive us or it doesn't purchase us from our guilt. It only postpones it. It's like that we have been found guilty of a crime and we're out on bail awaiting trial and conviction. It may be true that mercy of God endure forever, but it is also equally true that his truth endures to all generations. His truth never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Truth has to be therefore satisfied. Justice is demanded. Thank God for his mercy that protects us from getting what we immediately deserve. Mercy gives us time, though, for the grace of God to appear. Mercy built the road that grace actually travels on. Unlike mercy, grace brings pardon, freedom, liberty, redemption, pardon, and forgiveness. Ephesians 2 and 8, the Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not by works, lest any man should boast. Mercy keeps you from getting what you deserve. Thank God we all deserve punishment. We all deserve our, our, our correction. We all deserve our whipping and our scourging, but mercy keeps us get from getting what we deserve. While grace gives you what you don't deserve. Without mercy, there would be no one to show mercy to. Mercy actually keeps you from getting something, the wrath of God. While grace imparts and gives you something that you don't deserve, which is salvation and freedom and forgiveness and redemption. A sinner is not living under the grace of God. They're living under the mercy of God. Mercy is sustaining the sinner's life, hoping and longing that grace will be applied, that grace will soon appear into their lives. John 1 and 17, the Bible tells us in our text, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth is given by Jesus Christ. Notice something, truth isn't abolished as a result of grace, but truth is satisfied as a result 
result of grace. The wrath of God has been appeased as a result of the grace of God that's been found through Jesus Christ, his son. Grace doesn't take away the fact that I sin, but grace forgives me of that sin, and it's no longer held against me. Mercy met with truth to bring in the long-suffering of God, which in return holds back the wrath of God for a season. Mercy buys time for me. It pays my bill and keeps me out of the punishment for a season. And it doesn't pardon me, but it gives me time to find the grace of God. That's what mercy does. Thank God for the mercy of the Lord. But grace, however, has met with truth to the satisfying of that truth. It brings salvation and redemption and forgiveness of sin and the abolishing of the handwritings of ordinances was against us. They're nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ, never to be remembered against us anymore. However, our text says that grace came through Jesus Christ. For the law came by Moses, but grace came by Jesus Christ. Grace has come as a result of what Jesus Christ did at Calvary. Titus 2 and 11 says, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared unto all men. Hallelujah. Therefore, I'm no longer awaiting trial. I've had my trial at Calvary and Jesus took my place and his grace has justified me and God has judged me under the blood of Jesus as if I have never sinned. So therefore, I'm not out on bail. I'm free. Hallelujah. I'm not roaming around with mercy hanging over me, but I'm walking around with grace dripping from my life. Can I have an amen? He satisfied truth by taking my punishment. He purchased our grace by taking our place. He became our substitute on the cross. That's what Isaiah 53 and 5 is all about. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace was upon him and through his stripes we are healed. When it should have been me that should have been beaten, Jesus said, son, if you'll accept me as your Lord and Savior, I'll take your place. So Jesus was beaten for my sin. Therefore, sin was appeased. Sin was rectified in the sight of God. And when God looks down at me and sees the blood, he only sees the holiness of Jesus that's been imparted. Therefore, I am as if I have never sinned because God has justified me with his judicial imparting and imputing righteousness into me because of his son's sacrifice on the cross. Oh, give him praise that you're saved here today. I want you to understand something today. Your salvation isn't cheap. Everybody says, oh, it's free. No, it costs Jesus his life. Amen? The appeasing of wrath and the satisfying of truth took a great price. Jesus paid that price. Grace was produced on the road that mercy built. Mercy got us to the cross, but grace is what provided the cross. Oh, hallelujah. Therefore, the free gift of God has been given to all men through Jesus Christ. Now, the question I have for you today is, are you living under mercy, waiting trial, out on bail, and you're just being um, uh, uh, forgiven for a space of time, to give you time to find grace, or are you living under grace? And there's a difference in the mercy of God and the grace of God that mercy's the long-suffering of God towards you, but the grace of God is God's favor towards you. 
And I like that because the grace is not only the unmerited favor, it's God favoring you when you don't deserve it, but you have become to deserve it because Jesus has shed the blood and made you worthy subjects of his grace. Now, now, now that I'm living in grace, he will withhold no good thing to them that walk uprightly. Now that I live in grace, he makes me the head and not the tail. Now that I live in grace, he blesses my rising up and my lying down. Now that I live in grace, he blesses me. He blesses my going out and my coming in. Because I live in grace, he blesses me in the field. He blesses me in the city. Because I live in grace, he blesses me at noon. He blesses me in the evening. And he blesses me in the morning. He blesses me in the midnight hour. And because I live in the grace of God, he prospers me in the way that I go. And because I live in the grace of God. His goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And because I live in the grace of God, my life is sealed by the Holy Spirit of God, whereby I'm sealed into the day of redemption. And because I live in grace, my steps are ordained of God. And because I live in grace, no evil thing can touch me. And because I live in grace, no weapon that is formed against me is going to prosper. And because I live in grace, according to Psalms 91 and 12, the angels shall bear me up unless I dash a foot against a stone and because I live in grace according to 2 Timothy 4 and 18 and the Lord shall deliver me out of every evil work and he will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to him be glory forever and ever and ever amen because I live in grace according to 1 Peter 1 and 5 I am kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the end time and because I live in grace according to Philippians 1 and 6. I am confident of this very thing, that he which began a good work in me, he will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And because I live in grace, I can say what the apostle Paul said. He said, I have fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I'm finishing my course. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give unto me that day, but not only to me, but to all them that love his spirit. I am confident of this very thing, that he's able to keep that which I have committed unto him and because I live in grace according to Jude verse 4 it says God is able to keep me from falling and to present me faultless before the presence of his glory with exceedingly joy hallelujah and because I live in grace according to Psalms 18 and 35 he's given me the shield of his salvation his right his right hand holds me up and his gentleness has made me great. Can you give the Lord? He's made you great. Hallelujah. And because I live in the grace of God, according to Deuteronomy 33, 27, the eternal God is my refuge. And underneath are his everlasting arms. And he shall thrust out my enemy from before me. Hallelujah. And because I live in the grace of God, a thousand shall fall by my side, and then 10,000 shall fall by my right hand, but it shall not come nigh me. And because I live in the grace of God, according to Isaiah 41 and 10, he will, withhold, he will uphold me with the right hand of his righteousness. And because I live in the grace of God, when the enemy comes in like a flood, God will raise up a standard that's against them. And because I live in the grace of God, according to Psalms 27, starting with verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. And whom shall I fear? The Lord is my strength of my life. And whom shall I be afraid? When 
the wicked, even my enemy and my foes, came to eat of my flesh, they stumbled and they fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though the war rise against me, I will be confident of this very thing. Give him praise. Is somebody getting what it's like to live in the grace of God? Because I live in the grace of God, I will say of the Lord, he's my refuge, he's my fortress, my buckler, my shield, and my high tower, my God, in whom I can trust. Don't tell me grace is not sufficient. Don't tell me that grace is not enough. Don't tell me that God can't keep me and preserve me. Come on, somebody. God hasn't only blessed us, preserved us, and kept us, but he exalts us and empowers us by grace. Because I live in grace, he has set me in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Because I live in grace, he bears me up on eagle's wings and makes me soar in high places. And because I live in grace, he maketh my feet like hinds feet and maketh me dwell in high places. And because I live in grace, I dwell in the secret place with the most high God and I abide under the shadow of the wings of the Almighty. Hallelujah. And because I live in grace, he's given me the keys of the kingdom of God and whatsoever I bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatsoever I shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And because I live in grace, I can tread upon my enemies. I can tread upon servants. I can cast out devils. I can lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Oh, hallelujah. Because I live in grace, I'm a child of the king. I'm an heir of God. I'm a joint heir of Jesus Christ. My name's written in heaven. My name's written in the Lamb's book of life. I'm his and he's mine. That settles it. And no man's able to put me out of his hand. Simply put, in closing, I, can you believe it? I'm closing. Simply put, because he lives, I shall live also. Hallelujah. If that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, he'll quicken your mortal bodies and raise you up. Would you stand with me here today? Oh, hallelujah. There's benefits in living in the grace of God. Why? Because I got God's touch of favor. I got the seal of his protection. Everybody's always talking about, oh, he's, that person's in and out. In They're not in and out as much as what you think. Grace carries you further than what we really want to really believe and accept. So some of you that's walking around condemned all the time because you blunder, we've all blundered. But in the midst of it all, God preserves us, convicts us, woes us, loves us, Corrects us. Come on, somebody. But there's other people that's living and there's somewhat of peace because there's no immediate judgment and they're living in their sin and it's their mercy that's sustaining them. It's just mercy. But they're missing out on the divine favor of God. Oh, thank God for mercy.
You got to experience mercy before you can experience grace. It's the mercy of God that gets you to grace. But after you find grace, you have found the treasure of the world. Can I have an amen? With every eye closed and every head bowed, if there's people here this morning that's never been born again, this is an opportunity for you to give your life to Jesus. Walk out from under the umbrella of his mercy and fall down and let the umbrella of grace take over. It's time that you quit taking for granted the long-suffering of God because there will come a day that truth will have to be justified. Truth will have to be reckoned with. There will have to be justice. Don't frustrate the grace of God by rejecting his grace. And if you're that person here this morning, I want to give you an opportunity before I go to my next level. And that is to give you an opportunity to come and accept Jesus and receive the grace of God, the forgiveness of God over your sin. That you can come under the umbrella of his divine favor. Hallelujah. Who is that person this morning that would be man enough or woman enough to say it's me? I've wrestled long enough. God's mercy sustained me and I thank him. But I need the grace of God. I need him to work in my behalf. I need him to, I need him to help me in my time of my, of my dilemmas. I need the favor of the Lord. Is there anyone here this morning that would admit that and just, we all have to admit it. We all have to come to that point in order to be saved. Would you like to be saved this morning? Hallelujah. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Is there another one this morning? The angels of God are rejoicing just over one that comes. Is there another one this morning that would say, oh, I need, I need to get right with the Lord. Time's running short. I'm living under mercy, I know. There's been no immediate judgment as of yet, but I do know that I'm out on bail. And eventually truth will catch up with me. I need God's grace. You're on the road of mercy. Let it lead you to grace. The grace of God has appeared unto all men. Jesus first came to his own, the Jewish people, but his own received him not. And Jesus sat on the hillside of Jerusalem saying, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would have gathered you like a hen would gather her chicks under my wings, but you wouldn't accept me. I sent the prophets and you stoned them. I sent messages, but you rejected them. And he wept and he cried over Jerusalem. And as a result of the rejection, Jerusalem was destroyed and took it into a time of correction and judgment. That will be the same thing that happened to all of us that reject grace. The grace of God has appeared through Jesus Christ. Is there another one? Thank you, sir. Thank you for being a man. Can I have some people up here to help him pray? Is there another one here this morning? Folks, I feel conviction all over the building. I'm just giving a little time to let sinners come home to let those that have sinned and come short of the glory of God, lead them, lead them in the prayer life right here, right now. In the name of Jesus. Is there another one here this morning? There's a heavy mantle of conviction upon the congregation. Just obey him this morning. Oh, hallelujah. Before we go to the next level of our, our service, would you just support these people and applaud them for giving, having courage to walk the aisle and give their life to Jesus. Hallelujah. Now I'm going to ask you something. Those of you that are fretting, worrying, 
full of anxiety and fear. You're being tormented. It ought not be in a child of God's life. If you're walking in grace, you're walking in divine favor. And everything that ever happens to us, according to the Apostle Paul, we know that all things work together for the good of them that love the Lord and to them who are called according to his purpose. So we want you to understand all this fretting and stuff is you've not trusted in the grace that saved you. We want you to be delivered of all fear here today, all torment, all anxiety, all worry, all fretting. Come on. All anger. We want you to be set free of that because we don't believe that ought to be in a Christian's life because the grace of God's given you his divine favor. He's your buckler, your shield, your high tower in whom you can trust. He's put a seal and a hedge of protection around you and Satan can't even touch you unless God gives him the permission. You are sealed into the day of redemption. God is your God and he's over and in control of your life. Trust him this morning. If you're full of anxiety, fear, tension, trouble, worry, I just want you to come. We want to have people pray for you right now. We want you to walk out of here set free in Jesus' name. You may be a Christian. That's the way you say, oh, the world's crumbling in on me. It's weighty. Ha, ah, but the grace of God has appeared. Yes, look at this. Look at this. Can I have my prayer warriors please immediately get in behind these and start praying? You know why they came. They're Christians. They love the Lord, but the enemy's fighting them. And the Remind them of the grace of God. Hallelujah. Lord, have your way in this house. Have your way in this house. Those of you that are in the pew, would you just reach out your hand this way? Pray over these people that are up here for your brothers and sisters. And ask for the mercy of God to be with them. In Jesus' name.